Welcome to Seeing Red, where we finally decide through a fight to the death if the book or movie was better. I'm your host, Jimmy, movie fan, letterbox subscriber, Christopher Nolan Cult follower. And I'm your diversity host, Kelly. That's it? That's all. Well, we are here to bring the content you want for all things books and movies. Spoilers and unfounded opinions? Exactly. So sit back and enjoy as we dive into the most millennial question of all time. Was the book really better? It was. Enjoy being wrong. All right, welcome to Seeing Red, episode two. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Kelly McMurray. How's it going, Kelly? It's not bad. I'm a little congested. So I took my daily Zyrtec every morning, and here I am, sounding nasally. You sound great. Thank you. I was just fishing for that. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm realizing, obviously, COVID had a lot of negative aspects on the world, but the one positive thing it did bring to us is in theater demand rentals, which I didn't realize how much I needed until I had a kid. And uh, pre-baby, I just took advantage of the fact that I could go to the movies whenever I wanted. And now I'm kind of stuck at home. And the only way I could get my movies is through paying $20 to Jeff Bezos and being able to see whatever's in theaters right now. So Oh, fuck yeah. I don't even have a baby and I am doing kind of the same thing. Though I will say I'm kind of bummed I missed out on National Cinema Day, which was on Saturday. $3 movies. Fucking cool. But I will say this too. I checked out the movie theaters by me and a lot of them were very shysty. They were like, oh yeah, $3 movies. If you want to watch Jaws from 1974 in the big screen, $3. I could probably get that on VHS for $2. So I saw what you did there. Or for free somewhere. Or for free, yeah. People, people like, probably have that bigger art sale giving it out for free. Just take it away from me. You know, have you ever been to like a rock show where it's like the di- it's a dive bar? There's literally like pee on the floor, and some metal band is playing a movie, but like in the background, there's like an old film playing. In yeah. the back. It's like if it's not Human Centipede, it's probably like Jaws or something. Yeah. And you're like, wow, I love getting out of the house, don't you? Yeah, this is what I wanted on my weekend. Free movies and music free accompaniment. Movies. Yeah. You know what that reminds me of, though, because we are getting into Halloween season, is that I really want to see a Rocky Horror show where they do like the shadow play underneath it, where people like your typical like 42 year old stoners that are just like, I really love this play and I'm going to pretend I'm a transvestite, which is only (laughs) I'm only saying that because that's in the movie. Okay, we don't use that word. Otherwise, it is literally just the movie I'm saying it for. But I would love to see that. Also, I feel like, why don't we do that with more movies? I would love to I see I totally Clue. agree. There's so many movies that could be great Broadway shows. Yeah. And by Broadway shows, I mean a bunch of alcoholics performing it right beneath sure. your local movie cinema screen. That too. I'll take <laughs> that also too. also Broadway. I mean, they're doing, yeah, they're doing a lot of plays that are based off of movies. Like they yeah. did Groundhog's Day and American Psycho on Broadway. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, kind of weird. I don't know if I... Very weird. Yeah. Imagine American Psycho, the musical, where it's just like Whitney Mews, but like Houston's soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see it. Actually, I would see it. All right, bring it back. Take my money. All right. Now that we've done that detour, we would like to bring you to the actual content of this show. (laughs) Do you like to read books? (laughs) Or watch movies? Do you hate books and you want someone to go down in flames? (laughs) Listen to this podcast, too. I'll I'm gonna stand for my side of movie lovers all day and just destroy all of your books that you love so much. Uh, fuck off. You're not gonna do shit. Just for our listeners who don't know us, Kelly and I really do <laughs> Kelly and I really do love each other very much. We just hate each other on this show. 
I don't think we even hate each other on this show. We're like, wow, I really liked that movie. And then it's like that scene in Step Brothers where we're like going for the hug, but we're like kind of going to punch <laughs> each other at the same time. I don't know why I want to like, punch you in the face right now. I just want to choke you, but I love you. Yeah, the beach was a rough one. I'm not going to lie. Mm. But thanks for everyone for listening for to our first episode of The Beach. We really appreciate all the downloads and followers. And hopefully it gave you some insight into the book that a lot of people didn't even know about. I know. And a classic film to boot. <laughs> That's right. In the annals of history, we brought back the beach. You're welcome, Leo. You know what? Fun fact, the movie is probably older than his girlfriends at this point in time. So even Leonardo DiCaprio will not recognize that film. Kelly, if you ever want Leo on the show, you better shut up. Oh. I'd be like, who's this old hag? And his 25-year-old girlfriend, 24-and-a-half-year-old girlfriend. Anyway. So last episode, the beach, and today's episode, what, any good books you've read recently? You've been keeping up on it? Yeah. So I actually just bought two books and I did post it on our Instagram, but I'm pretty excited and very scared to start reading The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I've heard that's very good. Yeah. A lot of people love it. Taylor Jenkins Reads, who's the author, a Sagittarius, she's good in my books for that, has a lot of mo- ugh, books that I think are being made into movies. She's very, very popular. So I get, I get, and people, I'm a huge feminist. I really want to say that right now. <laughs> but when it comes to chiclet, it's very hard for me because I just feel sure. like it's a lot of regurgitated stuff. And you'll hear that on our Crawdads episode to no avail, but I won't spoil anything for that. It's already been spoiled. I'll spoil it again, too. Taylor Jenkins reads, though, this book is everywhere. If you go on Bookstagram or anything like that, everyone is reading this. I'm really intrigued by it. It's based off of Elizabeth Taylor's life, and they threw in a bisexual twist, so I'm already signed on. And I guarantee you this is going to be made into a movie by Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, probably. Probably already. Probably. It's probably already in the works. I do like picking up a book that I know is going to be turned into a movie. It's fun. It, it is, is fun. fun. And there's some authors that like have a direct shoot from like book to movie. Like you just know like certain authors are just like pot boilers basically. And they're like, here's a story about a girl who's been abused. Give me $5,000, Fox Pictures, and I'll give you give me the movie rights. As a um, book lover, do you pray for certain types of directors? And then you're disappointed got- with certain types? Like, oh, man, Ooh. this could have been such a good movie if they had this type of director versus who they ended up hiring. It's really, really hard because I think if you really love a book, the last thing you want to do is watch the movie or film. You'll always be intrigued. <laughs> but no matter what happens, it's just you're not going to get the same effect. But there are ones that you do get excited about. I was excited to see Dune because, uh, what's his name? Dennis Villanueva. Mm-hmm. Is his name right? Am I pronouncing that correctly? I don't no. know. I can't roll my R's and I'm very congested, so deal with that. But I love how he shoots movies. <laughs> do with that what you will. Yeah. I was excited, and I think they did a really good job of it. Just because so far, part it's, one. I know exactly. So I'm kind of intrigued because it can get the part of the part book two. that really gets interesting is yeah, coming we'll, down our way, and we will see how they do with part two, and then exactly, probably but, do an yeah. episode on it. Oh, two probably. But to answer your question, there are directors. I've actually gotten better at choosing movies by director and realizing that those are the people that I really should be paying attention to. And usually they'll kind of bring in their muses. So there's that one director that always uses Keira Knightley, everyone who always uses Leonardo DiCaprio, David Fincher always uses Brad Pitt as much as he possibly can. So like how many times does Chris Nolan have Tom Hardy or Cillian Murphy? It's like every film. Do you think they all live in the same house and it's just like this like funny like invite me to that party sitcom? 
Let me know when you're I'll having... I'll write you that story. Yeah. Invite me to that party. <laughs> but it's all time distortion at, at all times at the house. They're like, oh, shit, we ran out of milk. And then it goes back to somebody <laughs> drinking. <laughs> and that's the plot to the next tenant. You know, he keeps forgetting what he's going out for. So he has to have a picture of, like, milk tattooed onto the back of his hands. <laughs> Anyway, guys, so books are great. I'm reading The River Swimmer. My dad gave it to me, which is incredibly awkward because I love Jim Harrison. It's something my dad and I love the author of. He was the one that did Legends of the Fall, so we'll definitely do that. But this old pervy motherfucker just writes about so many boners, and I just, I can't sometimes. And just knowing that my dad read it makes it even worse. So I like (laughs) The River Swimmer. He's a very beautiful prose writer. Yeah. But if you ever pick up a Jim Harrison book, I warn you. You are going to hear things about, it's basically written by Leonardo DiCaprio, just like slightly underage girls. <laughs> We're really hitting on Leo today. We yeah, did the well, beach writing. He did. He did that. I'm hating more for the beach than I do for his freaking creepy ways. But yeah. Anyway, so have you watched any movies lately? Yeah. So I saw recently this uh, Labor Day weekend, I had a movie night every night. So I did Nope on Friday night, mm. which was fantastic. I did enjoy it. It's definitely creepy. It hit all the right spots for me. I think Get Out is still top movie Jordan Peele has done, and I don't think he can really beat that. I don't know. I'd like to see one come above it, but it was just like yeah. the first of its kind, so it's hard to match. It was a cleaner movie because his subjects, you're always like looking for the moral of the story because yeah, it's definitely like a parable or yeah. the metaphor, and I think it's just gotten kind of looser and looser <laughs> as he goes. Yep. I so, agree. but yeah, so I liked Nub too. It was a great movie. Yeah, I loved it. And I saw Prey, which I loved as well. Prey was a, you know, a prequel to Predator. It was a great action movie. Very well done. I had very low expectations going into this movie and they killed it. I was very pleased. I saw, I finally got to go to the movies and see Top Gun Maverick, which I loved and I would love to see it again. Oh, it's definitely oh, a movie so experience movie. It's like you're on a ride the whole time and it's fantastic. Very well shot. The action scenes are amazing. It's like your old time classic movie, but in 2022. And I feel like mm. we haven't done that in a long time, which I love. It's definitely a movie theater movie. Like It definitely f- is. Backstory, Jimmy had a date night with his wife and asked us what movies that they had, like a whole list of different movies they were considering. Yes. And my fiance and I both <laughs> the suggested Top were, Gun. The <laughs> options were Nope, Top Gun, Bodies, 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 Bullet Train. And you yeah. guys recommended Top Gun out of all of those options, which I, I was surprised. Who am I? Yeah. <laughs> when did, when did, what happened? And then I it's also, a great movie, though. I agree. Well, very well done. If you haven't seen it in theaters, go immediately. Stop mm. what you're doing. Go see it right now before it's gone. And then I saw Elvis, which I wasn't really oh. a fan of, honestly. I love, you know, biopic films and especially with people in musical history. And uh, this one, I think, missed a little bit. It was very all over the place. Tom Hanks is extremely creepy in it. And it was just hard to follow. Okay, so do you want to go on like a five-minute diatribe about this? Because I... Two minutes. (laughs) Two minutes. We'll give it two minutes, guys. I have always hated that director. And this is going back to the foreshadowing that we had done earlier today. No, I really can't stand Baz, Boz, Lerman, or whatever the fuck his name is. Because it's just... It's kind of supposed to be like, it would probably be better as a drag show, is all I have to say. It's just <laughs> like the content that is just sort of like, yes. here's a story, but we're going to tell it in a very like theatrical and tongue firmly planted in cheek kind of way. But also give it like, if there should be warnings for his movies that if you have epilepsy, do not watch it because this yep. movie is like flashing and it's crazy. Like, like- it is. 
Moulin Rouge, Great Gatsby. I just picture the scene in Great Gatsby where they're driving the car and it's this ridiculous driving scene where they're like drunk driving through the town and all these fireworks are going everywhere. And I'm like, what am I watching right now? I know because it's just unnecessary. Like I'm, and it's like weird CGI that I'm like hoping that in a Mm -hmm. few years we don't use because somebody, (laughs) by the way, I love IMDb reviews, like Mm -hmm. critic, not critic reviews, like whoever the fuck wants to go on and review a movie. They are insane. I love it. Give yourself a good chuckle and read some of them. But this one guy said it was like a music video for two hours. Yep. (laughs) And it's seriously, it's like that Boz Lerman does a great trailer. I don't think he can make a movie because his storytelling is terrible. I had no idea what was happening with Elvis. Also, Austin Butler's face is like... (laughs) Gross. Too much. Too much. They zoom in. Too much. Maybe it's the 4K. Oh, I think just guys with pouty lips like really scare me because they always just look like they're going to lick their lips. And I just think like, <laughs> it's just so sleazy. They're like, do you want me to hear? Can do you, you do hear? that one more time for our listeners? Blue Sage Shoes. That's your two minutes are up mm-hmm. on Elvis. There are some movies out there still that I want to see. I want to see Bullet Train, which I've heard is getting pretty good, mm-hmm. decent reviews. Cha-Cha Real Smooth, I've heard is very good. I haven't seen RRR, but the trailer looks ridiculous. And uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies are my top movies I want to go see. A lot of, uh, just say a word and repeat it three times, and that's bodies, a movie bodies, that we're bodies, all going to watch. R, R, R. Bodies, 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 R, Cha, cha. Cha, cha, cha. Yeah, but today, what are we talking about today, Kelly? What's our episode today? So we did mention in our last episode, and I feel like we did it large injustice because as professionals, I think that we shouldn't be fucking with the first two rules of this book and movie. True. But we're going to. So what I'm going to say is we're going to say it one time and throughout the rest of the episode, we will either bleep it out or not say it at all and have to creatively call it another name other than the name that it is. What should we call it? Let it come to you in a... All right. I'll think it through. I'll think of another name for it. Yeah. All right. So do you want to say it the one and only time, Jimmy? What is the name of the book and movie? Fight Club. That's it. That's all we're going to say. That's it. That's this it. is a spoiler podcast, so pre-warning, if you haven't seen Fight Club or... You watched... had 22 years to do it, so... Yeah, it's time. <laughs> it's time. Also, if you ever read the book, there's going to be a lot of spoilers in this podcast. There's big twists in this movie. We'll give a breakdown of what the movie's about, and then Kelly's going to talk a little bit about the book. I'll talk a little bit about the movie, and then we'll discuss which one's better. Um, so with that, let's get right into it. Kelly, give us a quick summary of... It's really hard to give the synopsis of only because it's going to give it away. And this is also, by the way, why it was really hard to make a trailer for this movie. But we'll get to that. So is a book about and movie, a narrator who's disenchanted with his life. Big consumerist, loves Ikea, worming little dude, discovers a friend in Tyler Durden, a anarchist if any other term can be applied to him but very charismatic the two guys start a friendship in which the narrator whose apartment blows up decides to move in with tyler durden on a like whim and the two of them start to go down a very strange rabbit hole in which they discover that they both have this pent-up male energy in which they want to burn the world down and start anew so what they do is they start beating the shit out of each other to realize that what they really wanted was to like not die with any scars and to experience something, particularly through violence, because violence is real. 
So the guys start a club, club starts to grow. While this is also happening, they're going down a very weird anarchist circle where they're forming clubs that are also meant to destroy consumerist and corporate companies and ideologies. So they're guerrilla warfare, pomo assholes. And yeah, long story short, things get weird. It gets a little out of control. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely say that. We'll leave it Should at I that. tell the spoiler in the actual synopsis? Yeah. Well, you already we already warned everyone about that there will be spoilers, so go for it. Yeah. All right, so here's the story. The narrator goes down a big dirty hole of self-introspection, realizes that he hates his life and everything around him, at the same time meets this girl Marla Singer, and even though he can't necessarily ask her out, decides what he's going to do is just set his life on fire instead. (laughs) So he becomes good friends with Tyler Durden, an imaginary fucking personality of his, because the bro has insomnia and has lost his goddamn mind. So now him and Tyler Durden have decided to just fuck with reality and Mm -hmm. make soap while they do it. Yeah, and Tyler is slowly taking over the narrator's life. He's hooking up with Marla. He's forming this club. He's forming the, uh, what's the name of the second club that they have? The uh, Mayhem, or Mischief. There was Mischief, Mayhem, and Arsonists. Yeah, Yeah. there were Arsonists and stuff like that. They were slowly taking over his life, and he was losing control over Tyler, even though they were the same person. But you don't realize that until about, I would say, three quarters of the way through the book and the movie. Yeah. So really, really good movie and book. I highly recommend if you haven't seen any of or read it to go check it out. So Kelly, I'll let, I'll give you a few minutes to go over the book side. Go for it. Let's hear it. Guys, this is hard. <laughs> this is hard. <clears throat> Chuck Palahniuk is, forget the term he uses for himself. I think it's like trans, a transgressional writer. This book he wrote, actually wrote his first book was Invisible Monsters. And that was too disturbing. So people decided that they didn't really want to publish that. And he was going through writing courses at the time with this like old steely author that I forget his name of. So they worked on this together, and Chuck Pana came up with the short story, which is actually, I think, chapter four of Club, and it got published, and people were like, the fuck is this? And he continued to write an actual novel of it, and then that novel was pretty much still in manuscript form. It had been published, I think, in 96. What was the short story in Fight Club? Oh, is it the body parts thing? No. So you know that one chapter where he's showing up at the work meeting between it's like the Microsoft guys and like yes. he's just covered in blood and like showing his like blood covered teeth and there's a lot of mm-hmm. references to cornflower blue. That chapter was the first thing he published for F- Club. And actually his style of writing is that he writes his books almost as short stories first and then like kind of grows them. So it got published in like, it was misspelled. I think it was like The Pursuit of Happiness was the the title of the short story collection. That's probably worth a lot right now. But long story short, the manuscript for Fight Club fell into the hands of, let me find the screenwriter's name, because the rights for it was kind of going around. A lot of people passed on it. And the reason why I'm talking about this in the book is because the book really was successful because of the movie. And I hate to say that, but it's true. So Jim (laughs) Oles is the screenwriter. Anyway, so the book gets published. It experienced a renaissance after the movie. And it's a first-person narrative, which is a lot of what Chuck Palahniuk does. And holy fuck, guys. I really, really wish I could have read this book before seeing the movie. 
because I really wish I had the experience of not knowing where the plot was going because this book and the movie are pretty much exact, almost word for word. There's a few changes in it, but it has such a gritty, really cool, dark storyline. Yeah. And you're signed on to it because the narrator, you almost don't even realize that you don't know who the narrator is. They don't ever describe him. Yeah. There's no name for him. So it's just this like flow of consciousness where he's just so bitter and sarcastic about life in general. But the action is done through that dialogue, and it's really cool. Like, I think what he did is great. And he's, I hate to say this, but kind of like Boz Lerman <laughs> in that <laughs> as Chuck Palahniuk does not give a shit. Like, he has what he wants, and he really has this interesting way of being kind of both pop art and offensive at the same time, where he'll say something, and it's so dark, but it's so it's funny at the same time and it's so real. So you're reading this thing about that one scene where I'm trying to think of a good one, but where he describes if corporations were to be the first ones to go out into space, they would be the ones naming all these planets. And it's just, there's such brilliant ideas in this book and it's done so glibly. He'll just say something like that and then he'll be like planet Budweiser. And it's just that same tone of, wow, this guy is right. I don't know why. It just sounded like that guy from Men in Black where he's like, sugar, water. Sugar and water. Sugar, water. So sorry. Yeah, I just, I mean, what I have to say about Chuck Palahniuk is that he's an experience. I don't wouldn't recommend him to a lot of people. And when he was writing, he would actually take his pieces and actually go, he does a lot of it like shopping. Mm-hmm. So he'll go and read it out loud. And what's really cool in club if you pick up the book is there's a like a an appendix to it where it talks about the experience of the book having been made into this like very big cult film and what happens to both the contents of the book as well as you know society in general being affected by the message of the club but he talks about how he would read this out loud at a bar so so much of what he's writing was for alcoholics sitting at a day bar and he was really trying to keep people engaged so he wrote a fucked up story and i don't know where he gets half the jobs he it went. is cringeworthy to read it's oh it's, it's very tough. cringeworthy it's if they reference one more time scrotums being cut off i was putting it down i could oh, there's only too many thing. too many times he's darker because so if you wanted to read this book and this is the other thing too is like the movie is very dark but it's like almost a satire the book kind of satire as well but it's seething with just contempt and it's like a human smirk i don't know how else to describe it otherwise and it's super violent in some parts because in the movie they're like oh we're gonna take his balls guys they took some balls in this book and there is a scene where he's scared to open the freezer because he just knows and this is like right when he has discovered who he is which is tyler durden he's oh shit i know what's in that freezer and then marla's what's in the freezer he's like don't go in the freezer possibly balls i don't know a a lot of scrotums so and your mother and your mother's oh my god that's another scene okay so this is what i'm talking about like i really wish i read the book first the movie did a great job of an adaption but there's some parts they left out that is even darker and creepier like Uh, yeah i think so too they discover when the narrator discovers how tyler's making some extra money for soap there's that whole scene obviously they go to the facilities where they dump out all the you know the needles and used all that yeah. shit and they get the fat from the liposuction clinic but 
in the book, it precedes that with Marla Singer. And this is also before Botox. So good for you, Chuck Palahniuk, for getting ahead of the curve. <laughs> Marla realizes that she needs human fat to pump up her lips when she's older. So she reaches out to her mom every so often and says, help getting old and wrinkly and her mom will eat a shit ton of food and then suction out the fat and send it to her. Mm -hmm. And then she kept this in the fridge at the paper street, paper mill street company. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why you would keep it there. So she kept it at Tyler slash the narrator's house. And that's when they discovered that they could make soup, a soup out of it, soap out of it. So there's this whole scene where Marla finds out that they've been cooking her mother's fat, which she's more upset about the fact that that's her collagen reserves and gets upset <laughs> with him. And she decides to start fighting and they get human fat, like the bag rips and there's in the barbed wire and it just falls all over them. It's nasty. Oh, but that's oh God. I'm like getting gaggy. Like in the movie, they do that pretty well. But imagine like your own mother's body fat. Yeah, I was and it's so like, happy they, they describe that in the movie. it. Yeah. Oh. Oh, like I'm just picturing Crisco on the floor. Like I want to vomit. So and then they're like fighting with each other. So it's kind of funny, too, because it's just a bizarre scene. And Chuck Palahniuk is so good at bizarre scenes. He can string together 16 of the most bizarre things. Like I think David Fincher is, too. Yeah, but he's he's a Virgo. He pays attention to detail. That's all (laughs) I got for you. But Chuck Palahniuk will write a story where it's like bizarre. There's that whole scene about like waiters tampering with food and that's connected then with like dildos vibrating at airports and setting off the bomb alerts and it's just he has such detail to like all these bizarre jobs that you ignore and it kind of comes back in later on because all these guys that are not seen by like normal society are the ones that are joining this boxing club of sorts (laughs) (laughs) this bare knuckle man ring and it's just it just shows so well the disenchantment of it i will say it's a very dangerous content and i think what i like about books is that you have to spend more time with a narrator and there tends to be a little bit more exposition about who they are where they're going through and i think he fights the narrator a little bit more what Tyler's doing. And as much as what Chuck Palahniuk wrote for this book is it's a it's referred to as apostolic, I want to say. Yep. But he's an apostle to Tyler Durden. And the story is supposed to be a love story. Love triangle. <laughs> okay. A love, love triangle, triangle between him and Marla, who he can't allow himself to accept that he likes. And then. Why do you his think that is? Why do you think Tyler. he can't accept? he's allowed to love Marla. Why do you think he has to create a whole nother personality to love someone like Marla Singer? Hashtag daddy issues. This entire book is just daddy issues. Oh, it's, it's sort of like, thrown in your yeah, face. God is the dad that went out for cigarettes and never came back. They talk you know, about the whole scene about in the bathroom about, you know, what his dad gave him advice on what to do. And I'm going to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about that too. Cause there's a lot of theories about around the narrator's dad and Tyler Durden's dad and what, what that means but i'll talk more about that in the movie part but the same dad i liked that one line too where he, they're like oh he set up a different family in almost every six years and it was like oh it's like a fucking franchise that's in the book guys they really did a great job where they took almost every Everything. single lick of dialogue is from that book so if Everything. you like the movie you'll like the book you will like the book <laughs> you will like the book it's harder and like i said it's so difficult to not think of the plot 
mm-hmm. when you're reading this book, I but agree. it is such a, it's almost like a rap song. I really want to understand what the fuck was going on in the late 90s because this is. This is Woodstock 99. This is Eminem. This is just a lot of frat boys really angry and fantasizing looking like Brad Pitt and just Mm -hmm. beating the shit out of each other. So this zeitgeist of pure, unadulterated male fragility is off the hook. And I can... Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I enjoyed the book. I think you spend more time with it and you understand the message a little bit better. And the ending... I think is a good thing too in the book. I don't love the ending in the book. And we can talk about that in our we discussion can talk about part. That, yeah. Because in the book, he ends up he shoots himself. The building doesn't blow up because they used paraffin, which is not a good mixer for a homemade bomb. And there's many recipes in this book, by the way, in case you ever want to make uh, nitroglycerin or a napalm. They give you some so recipes for disaster. Yeah. Club is basically, have you ever tried to look up like a chicken recipe on the internet and some like <laughs> white woman is telling you her life story for 15 pages and then the recipe is at the, the bottom? Recipe. Yeah. Yeah. That's what club is. Club is just a man giving you recipes for explosives. So maybe it's on 4chan. I don't know. Where was I going? Hey, you were talking about the ending. Oh, the ending. Thank you. And the we're going to get into it for sure. Yeah. Because that's a big difference. ends up being a mental facility. Yeah. Like he, and he's working his problems through and he thinks the therapist is God and that he is in an afterlife and he's not ready to go back yet. But at the same time, every time he looks around, there's people and members of the fight fighting ring arena and the naked man wrestling match. And (laughs) they're always like coming up to him and whispering, we're going to get you out. We're going to get you out. Yeah. So it just goes to show that ideologies are the most invasive thing. And I think this book is both a point and a satire off of that because it expressed a lot of opinions and thoughts about what masculinity is, what's needed for men, this pent up rage. But it's it's a really dangerous concept because what it really highlights is that violence is the only real thing in this reality. And I do think there's a lot of negative impact on women in this book. And everyone's going to be like, and if you feel that way, it's probably because you hate women. So I'm really sorry. I I am. But you have to think of it from this perspective. You don't need to be punched and have your balls cut off for you to experience life on this planet. And I think the book brought up a lot of those issues. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they resolved it, but I thought it was a really good dialogue of being like, oh my God, this is what it's like to be in a crazy guy's head. This would be like what it'd be like inside Jim Jones before he made everyone drink the Kool-Aid, you know? And you have to always wad very carefully in those stories. And what I think is problematic for movies is movies make it very accessible and they make it a lot easier to be like, oh, I feel this certain emotion because this music is cueing and Brad Pitt is the coolest guy ever. It's a lot easier to watch that movie and idolize and think that this is the answer to everything rather than read the book and be like, that was really dark. I don't know if I want to go back inside a head like that. Mm-hmm. So the good news about the book is you get the messages and the stories and you don't come out of it hoping to you know, purchase an AK-47 and do horrible things to people. Please don't. Please don't. Don't do that. Read the book. Realize it's not good. Yeah. And then stop. Yeah, and then get to the stop. end of the book because they'll explain get to the why end of the this book. is not a good idea. Not a happy ending. Not you know? a happy And ending. like, honestly, Tyler, I will say this too. Tyler in the book is nicer than the narrator to Marla. 
Yes. To a lot of people. Like, and I people, think in yeah. the movie, they made him a really big dickhead. Like, he was a sleazeball. Like, he was, like, yeah. using the terms coos and all that stuff about Marla. But, like, he liked Marla in the book and was actually very nice to her. He was the one that showed up when she was on drugs. And he was the one that called the police to try and help her. And she's, fuck, you called the police? Mm-hmm. And she, and that's when they, you know, leave and start calling each other human garbage and having extremely weird kinky sex, which, thank God, is not in the book. I did not want to hear that or see that. So, yes. So, th- that's what I'm trying to say is that this book is very good. It's awesome to enter Chuck Palahniuk's world because he is a twisted son of a bitch. Pennywise would be scared of him. And I think they did a really cool job of you walking into the head of somebody that is terrifyingly maybe not evil, but deranged. And yeah, it's a it's a fun story. It's great for the kids. We yeah. did a bedtime. <laughs> okay. Movie time. All right. Well, let's get into the movie. So Club came out in 1999, directed by David Fincher, as we know. Some people might argue that this is one of David Fincher's best films. I don't know. But it's it's definitely up there, I think. He's got Seven, Zodiac, Gone Girl, Social Network, and the game. And I was thinking, like, Gone Girl is an episode we might do down the road for sure. Keep up with the David Fincher trend. But it stars Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, Helena Bonham Carter, and Meatloaf. Great, great casting. Great casting choice. As I mentioned, this movie came out in 1999. And I think it's up there with the other players of the 1999 films that came out that year. I think it's one of the best films that came out that year. And there, 1999 came out with some great movies. There's another podcast that I do listen to called Raiders of the Lost Podcast. And they do a quick breakdown of movies that came out in 1999. And it was a fantastic year for movies. I don't know if people are aware, but The Matrix came out that year. The Talented Mr. Ripley, The Green Mile, 10 Things I Hate About You, The Sixth Sense, Toy Story 2, American Beauty, Austin Powers, Star Wars Episode 1, and this movie as well, which we will not name. But I think it's a competitor among the 1999 movies that came out. This movie, I truly believe, is a cult classic. You know, fans of this movie remember it and rewatch it over and over again. This is definitely a very rewatchable movie. It was one of the biggest cult classic in DVD sales. I remember it didn't do so well in the theaters, but when it came out in DVD, I think a lot of word of mouth started to spread about this movie. and, And that's what picked up the trend. And I think that's what brought a lot of attention to the book as well. And most people didn't even know it was a book first, like we were saying. And I think that helped increase the book sales and and helped Chuck a lot with his with his sales. It earned over $100 million in, in DVD sales and, and rentals that uh, in the first couple of years. If you haven't seen Club yet, honestly, add it to your list. It's a classic movie to go see. It's got, it's not a movie you think, it's not the type of book or movie that the title describes the book and the movie. Like you think it's just a bunch of guys beating the shit out of each other in the basement of a bar. And it's so much more than that. We talked a lot about metaphors in movies and sometimes they're kind of hard to pick up on. And this movie, I don't think it's very difficult to pick up on. They throw it all into your face right away about post-consumerism and capitalism and everything that's going on in American society. He talks a lot about how our generation of men didn't have a great war. They didn't have a great depression. This is our fight, our fight for our spirit. And and they talk a lot about, you know, the narrator's big into the Ikea look and feel in his apartment. And he works for a company where he has to make real life decisions on people's lives. And he's working for a big corporation that, you know, can hurt people based on the decisions he makes in his corporation. So it's really a, like you mentioned about capitalism taking over the country and how 
the common man has to kind of stand up to that. We're the ones who really control this country. But if you, like I said, if you have a C club, add to your list, you're long overdue. Like we said, 23 years overdue. We are on the anniversary, the 23 year anniversary of club. It did come out in September of 1999. It's got a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's like the top 12 or something on IMDb as far as scoring. So really great movie. We have three very interesting characters. Like we mentioned, Edward Norton plays the narrator. Brad Pitt is Tyler Durden and Helena Bonham Carter plays Marla Singer. I think all three choices were fantastic choices. Brad Pitt pays the perfect douchebag. Tyler Durden, who's in the narrator's head the whole time, telling him what to do. He's like the epitome of what every guy kind of wants to look like and act and go through their day not really caring. And he looks good and he does what he wants and gets what he wants and he gets the girl and all that stuff. So it's really interesting that he created this this type of person in his head. I, I really think that we talked a lot about, there's a lot of metaphors around him not having a father and father figures and stuff like that. And I really believe that there's a lot of theories around their, their father figure. What the scene where they're talking about Tyler Durden's talking about his father and they're talking about what his father told him to do while he was growing up is first you got to go to college and then, all right, I'm done with college. What do I do next? Get married. And then what do I do next? Get a job. And then what do I do next? Have kids, you know? And there's a theory that Neither of them really had a father growing up, obviously, but society is really the father telling them what they're supposed to be doing next. So I thought that was a really interesting theory. They even talk about theories about, you know, when t- the narrator is going from bar to bar and they're talking these, the people that work for Project Mayhem or the f- club are talking about Tyler Durden and saying, did you hear he was raised in a mental institution and stuff like that? That could be the narrator past life that his, he was born in a mental institution his mother was in a mental institution so there's theor- a lot of cool theories about this movie that i really enjoyed what is hard about the book that i compared to the movie is it does bounce around a lot the movie does bounce around but having the visual aspect of it really helps there's a scene where he's talking about you touch down in la you touch down in logan you touch down in chicago and he and then he's talking about a story you know that happened years ago with tyler and him as a waiter you know, poisoning food and stuff like that. And then they go back to him jumping around. And it's it, it jumps back and forth to present and past a lot, past stories that he talks about and present. And they do do that in the movie. But at least in the movie, you can kind of see, okay, this definitely takes place in the past. This definitely takes place in the present, which was a lot easier to follow. It's beautifully shot, this movie. David Fincher does like to play around with regular film and digital. And this is a movie that he did all on film which is really interesting that you get that gritty look of what they were looking for, that punk rock, rebel, anarchist attitude, I think can be shown more in film over digital, even ending it. Also, yeah, that's how you could get that clip of a erect penis in your movie, too. Exactly. Because they, yeah, (laughs) he was really honoring the source material with that, where he's, you know what, I will splice a dick into here. Yeah. And that's not something you get in the, in the book, you know? You, you, you don't get that in digital. <laughs> listen, the ending of the movie is definitely very different. They have the Pixies playing, which I don't even think people knew about the Pixies when this movie came out, you know? So mm. it was very punk rock attitude kind of movie. The themes of this movie, I think, are very misunderstood. Like I was saying, a lot of people think this is a bunch of guys just starting a f- club. But it turns into so much more than that. We've talked about this. It turns into them starting Project Mayhem. The narrator losing control of his club, losing control of his project mayhem, 
Tyler slowly take it over. Every time he thinks he's asleep, it's really Tyler takes over and starts running with his life. And the, the movie does a very good job at keeping that a secret until the very end. You know, you kind of get hints of it throughout the movie. And that's why I love this movie, because you can go back and rewatch this movie a second, third, fourth time and pick up on more and more clues every time of why and how Tyler Durden is slowly taken over. There's even clips. They do a very good job of the narrator talking about insomnia and he's just staring off in the distance and little bleeps of Tyler Durden will just show up on the camera, which I've, which I really liked. And I didn't pick up on the first time I watched it. You did mention this too. And I think this is a very good point is I also watched the movie before I read the book. So you know where it's going. I would be curious to know if I read the book first, if I would have liked it as much over the movie or vice versa. I think it definitely plays a part when you're watching a movie first, you can, you can't help a picture those actors in the book. You can't help but picture where the story's going and just waiting for that twist. But I just remember first time watching the movie and I was just so blown away by the twist and I loved it. But watching it recently for this podcast, I tried to pick up on all the fun little things that you know Tyler's doing behind the narrator's back and they show it in the movie and it's so obvious once you know the twist. So Tyler's constantly talking about how he he can't talk about Tyler to Marla. He constantly says, you know, don't talk her about me. Don't talk to her about me. And we and they're never in the same room, just like the narrator's parents, you know? So I, I wonder if that's how another theory is. That's how the narrator's parents were in that. And he created Tyler as kind of like his father figure, constantly fighting with his quote mother, you know, just another theory. Marla never says his name throughout the movie until the very end when the twist happens. And I thought that scene was fantastic in the hotel when he's like, she's like, one minute you're an asshole, one minute you're nice to me. I don't know who I'm ever talking to. He says a lot throughout the movie. Sometimes Tyler speaks for me and he does this in the book too. And you've talked about this a lot is the book and the movie are extremely similar. If you like this book, you'll like this movie. If you like this movie, you'll like this book because they take a lot of the lines from the book and put it in the movie. And the movie just does a great job at, at, at finishing it. The scene where he fights his boss, it says, this is the first, this reminds me of the first time I fought with Ty Tyler because he's fighting himself. He's punching himself in the face. And it's obviously what he did in the beginning. He says a lot, Tyler's words are coming out of my mouth. There's a scene where him and Marla are fighting in the kitchen. Uh, the narrator and Marla, I should say. And Tyler's in the basement, like, making the beds for Project Mayhem. And he's, do you hear that noise? And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? And then she, like, storms out. So there's, like, a lot of clues in the movie. And I, I, do, I think they do a great job at hinting at it, but not really giving it away, which I really liked. I really think this movie showed a lot of expressions that haven't been, that haven't been expressed before in movies. What is my life really worth? What is life really about? Am I stuck in a system that makes me feel miserable? And during this time frame in the late 1990s, early 2000s, a lot of guys were going through this. We, you know, we're on the brink of the internet technology and people were trying to find their place in the world. And big corporations were starting to make names for themselves, Microsoft and Google and all that. And the blue collar worker was kind of being left behind. And I think this touches a lot on that. And I don't think that's really been done before in film, you know, and just because of the timing that it came out was perfect for the time frame it was in. You know, if anything sooner, they would have been, you know, wars and Great Depression and all that stuff that we talked about. And anything later would have been social media taking over. But this was like a perfect, perfect montage to what was going on in the in the current 
1990s or whatever. I would love to see a second, at some point, I would love to see a second movie of a club where they show, or a backstory of a club where they show the narrator doing all of the things as Tyler Durden that you don't see in the movie. I think it would be great to see the narrator going from city to city being like, oh, by the way, I'm going to come back later pretending not to be me, and you have to tell me that I'm not supposed to say anything. If you see my face and I ask you questions about this club or Project Mayhem, don't say anything to me. And if I threaten you, come drag me drag me into a car and threaten to cut my balls off. I really would love to see that because they do such a great job at like how crazy your mind can be and how much your brain can take over your whole body. And it's it's amazing what your brain can achieve without you even knowing you're doing it. And I know there's a lot of people out there that do have split personality disorders and all this other things going on in their head. And it's really interesting to see it come to fruition. There's a great line in the movie where Tyler Durden is talking to the narrator and he says, people do this every day in their heads. They're constantly talking about what they want to do, what they want to achieve and how they can achieve it. And you're the only one with the balls to actually create a personality and create someone to actually fulfill it. And yeah, obviously it's, it's crazy. It's anarchism and, taking down blowing up buildings and all of that stuff but it's it it is something that people think about a lot is what you really want to do with your lives do you want to go through the day-to-day system do you really want to go through you know working for a big corporation and and just going you know day by day doing the same thing over and over again or do you want to change change the world (laughs) do you want to change the world by getting your own balls cut off yeah i'm gonna tell you that i'm gonna come here later and if i do you're gonna cut my balls off okay do you think he just showed up with rubber bands, too? Because he's like, I know you guys aren't, you know, well supplied, but uh, here's my Bowie knife. Here's and, uh, some rubber bands. I'll, it's going to be me. rubber bands. And then the guy's probably, are you sure you actually want me to go forward with this? I'm going to cut <laughs> your balls like, off. Yeah, he's take like, my balls. Yeah, just take my balls. It's for the greater good. It's a lot. What You know what I think would be really cool, too, with that concept of, oh, what if we could see the whole movie with Edward Norton doing everything that we thought Tyler Durden was doing? Yeah. Is that Edward Norton is such a weaselly looking guy and he's a great actor but it would almost undermine just how cool it all looks because seeing brad pitt do it you're like wow it's badass he's fucking (laughs) badass (laughs) edward norton let me correct my hunch first and then i'm gonna come for your ass like i would just be like oh yeah i can watch this movie and get the the satire here i really think they did a great job in the movie at the big twist they delivered the twist perfectly of him arguing with Tyler Durden in the hotel, or not arguing with Tyler first. He calls Marla first and has to confirm what she, who she thinks he is. And it's the first time you hear Marla say his name. And it's such like a bomb goes off in the hotel room. You know, he even says, buckle your seatbelts. You know, he does the whole pilot plane analogy because he's flying all over the place. And then that's when Tyler shows up bald in a giant fur coat and is, let me break it down for you. And it's perfect. They just deliver it perfectly. David Fincher does a great job at delivering this biggest twist of the book perfectly. I even liked it better than than the book. The whole him and Marla finding, maybe it's Helena Barna Carter, whose acting is perfect too. Throughout the whole movie, I... You know, for casting choices, I don't know if they they could do pick someone better than that. And I just think they delivered it so well. We talked about the ending a little bit. The ending's probably the only biggest part that I think is different between the book and the movie. Like Kelly mentioned that they're in the book. They 
he ends up shooting himself and then in a mental institution. He, and it kind of sounds like he might be dead, but you're not sure. All the people that are from club Barla's there and all the, and all the people from club are there and he's talking to God and he's not sure if he's ready to go back. So you don't know if he's really dead or in purgatory or in just like a mental institution. It kind of leaves you hanging, which is very interesting, which is a very interesting ending in the movie. It ends with buildings being collapsed. He shoots himself in the face again, somehow survives, talks about how it doesn't hurt that badly. And then all of the buildings kind of collapse around him and Marla. It's a really beautifully shot scene with the Pixie songs going on. And then they just slice in a big old dick there to end it, which is, I think, so perfect to the end of a movie. More more dick pics at the end of our films, please. Please. Especially if you're please. talking about it throughout the movie. You can't yeah. not put it in there. But that's like both the book and the movie did is the book is so big on callbacks. Like anytime he says something, it'll show back up. Like Space Monkey was like a random drop. Yeah. And then it's just it comes to be the term that they use for all the people in Project Mayhem. And it's like the same thing in the movie is like there's all these different callbacks of a word that comes back or a concept or a, a visual in words. And I, I love that. I think it's really cool. And especially in a movie when you can just finish it with the exact thing that they were talking about the whole time. Mwah. You know, I'll give credit to the book and the movie. This is one of the few movies that I think is pretty shot for shot remake of the book. Line for line, we talked about this, they even include the dildo buzzing in the suitcase line, which I thought was hilarious. Nine times out of ten, it's electric razor, but that one time, it's a dildo. Oh, we my, can never my favorite part with this. that line? We can never oh, reference yeah. this. <laughs> your dildo. Always, the dildo. We can never say your dildo. It's a dildo. Yes. I, dildo. Oh, my God. That in the event that so it is a dildo, funny. it's always a dildo, never a your dildo. dildo. <laughs> so, like I said, it's line for line from the book. But what I loved about the movie is it gives the David Fincher edge to it. It's shot gritty. It's, you know, it's got great music, great action, a lot of sepia. Even, like I said, he does a great job at not giving away the twist. He does a great job at keeping you in suspense of what's going on. You, as a viewer, don't even know what's going on. Maybe it would have changed a little bit if I read the book first, but I didn't ever watch the movie as most people did. And uh, that's kind of my recap of the movie. Beautiful. My only question is, Kelly, do you hate David Fincher or do you love Chuck Palahniuk? <laughs> if you were to choose one over the other. <laughs> if, what if, and follow me on this, Chuck Palahniuk is David Fincher's Tyler Durden? Oh, that's pretty good. He you doesn't really I mean? exist. Like, I, don't, I feel like one of them doesn't exist and the other one is just picking up where the other left off. That's Maybe fine. David Fincher is Chuck Palahniuk. That's fine. Just give me the David Fincher half then. <laughs> all the time would that be the top half or the below half if, if david fincher still has his balls i'll take david fincher i let me tell you i've read one other book by chuck palinuk and it is and i've seen i still want to read it because it was a very bad movie even though it had sam rockwell in it is choke did you ever watch that no i never saw it so this is this is friends and family it's very important screenwriting <laughs> And yes. your director, okay? I like you could stock that movie with the greatest actors. It could be a flaming piece of shit. And club, great director. You could tell these people were passionate about the source material. Took pretty much everything and streamlined it so they were like, okay, how can we make it 
make more sense for a layman. Choke is an equally complicated, bizarre-ass fucking story about, I don't even know what. He, this guy has like a sex addiction, but he's also chokes and gets people to pay him money by fake choking because they feel attached to him for saving his life. He works at a, like the Williamsburg you know, recreations for colonial stuff. It's weird. And this is what I'm saying. Chuck Palahniuk is a weird man. He's and weird. I love it. He is weird. But Invisible Monsters, and I've talked to Jimmy about this, really is a bizarre book. And mm-hmm. it really affected me. It's, it's on my and, list. Yeah. And because there's just things that he says that resonates with you. There's this one line in Invisible Monsters. And I'll give you the lowdown on Invisible Monster, but I'm not going to spoil it because I'm going to save something for later. I'm, if you liked Club the book or the movie, read more Chuck Palahniuk, okay? And read Invisible Monster. I haven't read his other stuff, but there's some weird stuff. But one of the lines that I love is that he talks about how an alcoholic will always pour you a drink first. So that way it seems like it's a community thing. And then they feel less guilty about pouring themselves a drink because they're pouring you first. And then there's this other line where he, a lot of themes of like, people that are so disenchanted with how the life that they're living because it's so hollow and it's like a mimic of a mimic of a mimic mm-hmm. and invisible monsters is about a, a model like a like a subpar model like a very attractive young girl from the midwest whose jaw gets blown off by a shotgun oh my god <laughs> And that's the story, guys. <laughs> it's and it goes down crazy rabbit holes after that and it's I, and by the way Panic at the Disco wrote the so- that whatever the shotgun song they have like mm-hmm. sentences for song titles. That song is an homage to Invisible Monsters. So Panic oh. at the Disco, for better or worse, guys, is a big Chuck Palahniuk fan. That's interesting. He writes some disturbing stuff. Apparently, he wrote a short story called Guts, which ended up showing up in Haunted. I want to say, mm-hmm. and it makes people faint. Like, they have about over 100 people that have fainted during a a live reading of that short story. So he is a twisted son of a bitch, but it's so digestible, which is what's so scary. It's not, he's not like a very, like, cryptic, weird writer where it takes 17 sentences for him to say something. He says one thing, and it is, here's my callback, a shotgun blast to the jaw every time you read him. (laughs) What were some of the differences you notice between the book and the movie of club i didn't really notice too many there's like there the isn't ending. too many how he meets tyler jordan is different how he meets tyler there's they also meet on a nude beach they also don't talk about marla's mom in the movie i don't think that's no they don't marla it's interesting because i think they did a lot of justice to marla's character but at, in the movie, but at the same time, there are things that are left out about her. Mm-hmm. I think she had not a lot more dialogue. I think just different dialogue. It's interesting how much more different her part is in the movie than it is in the book. I think they did a few other things for her where there was one thing that I hated about her in the book was like every time she she keeps talking about ex-boyfriends. She's like, I had an ex-boyfriend that liked, you know, to be tattooed or an ex-boyfriend. That, it makes mm-hmm. her just seem like insipid. And, but I feel like she was, and I'm sorry, Helena Bonham Carter, you are obviously perfect in this film, but I think she's like maybe more attractive in the book. <laughs> just picture her as like kind of like this cool goth chick that's like just, yeah. but I guess I don't know. Helena Bonham Carter is a cool goth chick for the 90s, you know? She's she a little is. older now, but for that time frame, she was like, she, she also, you have to remember, too, that this was a 
this was a time where people were getting into that look and that punk rock attitude and stuff, you know? Yeah. Like I said. Secondhand the, hot topic. Yeah. Or like it was, it was very in. original. Yeah. It was very in. <laughs> it definitely was. Her hair in that film says a lot. I just think she was like a little bit more, she cared a lot more about her looks in the book. Let's put it that way. And he actually, it's one of the few people in the book that is actually described as how they look. That her and Meatloaf's character. I feel like outside of that, there's not too many descriptions of what a person looks like outside mm-hmm. of their bruising. And here's something. I mean, I want to give this to you, Jimmy. I want you to give us a list of people that did not make the movie. It's hard. But I will say the two things that I kind of miss, and I like one thing is <laughs> the described butthole on narr- the narrator's cheek. This guy had a oh, hole yeah, the cancer. in his he face. He thought it was cancer, right, or something? No. Oh, that's another thing. So he had, oh, that was such a good part. Okay, thank you. That's a part that they do not talk about. He has this birthmark, the narrator, on his foot that looks like Australia and New Zealand. And that's also a defining characteristic for people to recognize that he is actually the Tyler Durden. But when he got, he had something, (laughs) he had like a wart on his junk and during college, the narrator, and he describes how he went to the school doctor and they were taking care of it when they noticed that he had this birthmark on his foot and they all got really excited and left him alone in the room for 10 minutes with like his, you know, like junk out. And they come back and they're like, oh, shit, we thought you had this really terrible new form of cancer. And we were really excited about it because <laughs> they wanted to they wanted to have an example of this cancer. And so he took like a picture of it to always remember that time that he had cancer for 10 minutes. And that like kind of goes back again to him going to these cancer groups and having this sort of my life is not meaningful unless I'm dying kind of thing. Yeah. I was going to say they, they at least did a great job at touching on the fact that he's just a miserable human being. And the only way he can sleep is by going to these, you know, the cancer groups, you know, these cancer groups, testicular cancer and all those. I love when he's fighting with Marla on which groups they are allowed to go to (laughs) and they're fighting over testicular cancer. And she just goes, well, if anything, I technically don't have my balls and you still do. I'll give that win to the movie because that is not in the book. And yeah. that was, you know, just well done. Well and done. delivered by her is yeah. just amazing. It's just a great movie. I think, yeah, there are some differences, but not much. Like it's, like I said, a line for a line shot. Like what I was trying to think of, you know, last episode, we did a, a tribute to the fallen soldiers that didn't make the movie. And I couldn't think of any characters that didn't make it into this movie. Yeah, that's why I'm just saying the hole in his cheek. The narrator was a human ragdoll at this point in time, like just covered in blood. His eyes are never going to go back down. He has this hole that will not heal in his cheek. And he just keeps describing it like a butthole. (laughs) Which there's some really like poo-poo caca terminology in the book, which is sort of like interesting, like the, the bad phrases that they have. So he has this like puckered hole on his cheek. And I think that would have been a lot cooler on Edward Norton if this guy was like seriously like just ripped up and disgusting looking the whole time because he's, he becomes a ghoul. Yes. You know, like who, who would want to talk to this guy that has an open wound just flapping on his cheek where you could probably see his, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but he he becomes like a cult leader. The book is what I liked about the movie over the book is that the book is just hard to get through because it's there's parts where they're just like I said, so cringeworthy, 
really hard to read and then you're like all right i get it they're gonna cut this guy's balls off all right i get it he has a giant hole in his face that reminds him of a butthole i didn't care about that Guys, as that's much beautiful as writing about... don't listen to jimmy about that beautiful no. writing it's uh, pros. go watch just go watch the movie it's way easier to get yeah through. you see a lot less of like disgusting things that's for yeah. sure they like palinic leans in hard on the disgusting also like he, there's that one scene in the book where they're walking through the garden, mm-hmm. him and Marla Singer, the narrator. And at one point he look, looks down and there's like a human jaw in the, and this garden's beautiful. It has rosemary and thyme and lavender and everyone, like all the space monkeys are just keeping care of this beautiful herb, herb garden. And they use it obviously for the soaps, but while they're walking through, he's talking about all the fertilizer in the garden and Marla's not paying attention. And he like looks down, he's, I'll just cover this human jaw up. And you start to get this thing is like, they're killing people in the book. In the movie, they don't. He kills his boss in the book by putting like gasoline yeah. inside this. I, I'm, I'm assuming it was an iMac, like the kind with the colored backgrounds, like Apple Macintosh. But the scene is great when they're trying to blow up the building and it, it just shows him and Ed, Edward Norton, the narrator, and Tyler Durder fighting. And it's just flashing back and forth between him fighting him and then the security cameras of him just fighting himself. I just thought they shot that's so great. Yeah. If you just want to see somebody fighting by themselves, this is a great movie. They do that very, movie. very well. It's just a great it movie. Is a, it is a good movie. It's a, it's a disturbing movie. What if you were to re, let's say they redid Club today? Uh, do you have any casting choices you would make? I don't think so. I did want to say, like, I was looking up who was actually on the docket for Marla Singer. Yeah. And for the narrator. So Marla Singer. And here's some winners and one rando. Okay. So Janine Garofalo was a big choice. Okay. But she didn't want to do the sex scene. Yeah. Uh, Courtney Love. Okay. <laughs> Interesting string choice. Yeah. I kind of want to see that movie. Winona Ryder. Okay. And then here's the random one. Reese Witherspoon. Oh, God. No. Yeah. Sweet Home Alabama Hard Part pass. 2. I love not, Reese Witherspoon, but not for Marla Singer. I do too, but what a fucking random choice. And then for the narrator, they were looking at Sean Penn or Matt Damon. Sean Penn would be good. Matt Damon's too pretty. Yeah, I, I don't agree. think, like, that's... Matt they Damon would say make a better Tyler Durden. Ugly. Matt Damon would make uh, a better yeah. Tyler Durden. Then Brad Pitt? No, no, no. Then, then the narrator. If they were to cast yeah. Matt Damon, I'm saying. I agree with that because it was just. Too yeah, perfect. I was thinking, if it were to if it were to be remade today, I was thinking Ryan Gosling as Tyler Durden, and then I thought of Jack Quaid, who's from The Boys, as the narrator. Which one's Jack Quaid? Is he He's the dorky one? The dorky that's guy. A... The dorky guy from yeah. The Boys. And. Interesting. Anna, and then Anna Taylor Joy for Marla Singer. I'm enthralled with this new movie you've just created. Yeah, it's not bad, right? That's kind of cool because, like, I like. I, I said like the, the vibe casting you're going with here. The casting it's is perfect. dark. The casting is perfect for Club 1999. Yeah, but, but Club 2023, maybe, maybe, maybe. remake, remake. So uh, necessary. So with that, we'll get into our tip of the hat category. So my tip of the hat for the book is the ending, mainly because two reasons. One, I saw the movie already. I knew the ending and it was cool to see something a little different that I wasn't expecting. And I love the unknown of the ending in the book over the movie where 
you don't know if he's really dead or alive. You don't know where he is. You don't know what's going on, and it just ends. So I'll give it to Pathat the books for for their ending. Ooh, that's kind of interesting because a lot of people love the ending because it was like a Hollywood ending. Like it was satisfying it was. to be like, oh. I, but I just wasn't expecting it, and I loved how they changed. Like I wasn't. Ex- I was because ex- when I was watching the movie it was shot for shot from the book. So when the ending was so different, it's just not what I was expecting. And I kind of liked something a little different that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I get that. Because I think the ending in the book is kind of confusing. Yeah. It's it's definitely a lot more mysterious because I, and I think it's good. I don't know if I prefer it, but it's good in the sense that it's in line with the character. Because this guy is nuts. He's yep. thinking a mental institution is heaven. And... How miserable of a heaven would that be, guys? Yeah, he's constantly in his head making up, you know, different life <laughs> scenarios for his life, you know? Yeah, he's, he was talk doing about that the unreliable. Whole... Right, narrator, yeah. We yeah, talked about unreliable like, this narrators is... a lot from the beach mm, to this yeah. one. But and... this is, yeah. And, this is uh, a smooth transition from the beach because the beach was like trying to capture that vibe of that time period, and yep. though the book did it, the movie didn't. This, on the other hand, Holy crap, they definitely... Because you know when something pinpoints a, an emotion? Mm-hmm. When it lasts for as long as it does. And like people still reference Club. It's it's entered like human vernacular. I agree. Even if you haven't watched the movie, you know kind of the rules of this little meet and greet club. Bros are still putting up posters of soap in their dorm rooms. Oh, God, I know. Guys, <laughs> read a book. If Saturdays are not for the boys, they are not... Here. I hate those. Oh, God, that flag. What a flag. Let's get let's, a pride flag. Let's stick to the topic, Kelly. <laughs> Read Invisible Monsters. Okay, guys. I don't know. <laughs> and then have a that, life So check. what would you recommend? What would you recommend for a movie if you liked Club? I was thinking, it's not a movie, but I was thinking Mr. Robot has a lot of similarities. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, rebellion, anarch- anarchist feel, split personality disorder, taking down the system, those sorts of things. Uh, a lot of similarities. But Mr. Robot's very good for, you know, the the internet age and what's going on in today's world versus 1999. And I think they do a very good job with it. So if you haven't checked, if you haven't seen Mr. Robot, I highly recommend. That's a really good... Cool, do you think they would have a Mr. Robot without Club? Yes. They're different. You think so? Yeah, I think they're different in some ways. And... It's a very good story that they probably want to still do. But I think Club definitely set the tone for, like I said, that punk rock rebel against the capitalist pigs sort of thing. Mm. And Miss Robot definitely hits on those those trends a lot. So what about the book? Do you recommend any books that are similar to Club? I know we talked a little bit about Chuck Palahniuk, but... Yeah, I would definitely say if you're interested in this and you want to see like his uh, his oeuvre, if you will, definitely check out more books by Chuck Palahniuk. Choke, I want to read Haunted. I am going to steal myself and try and grow a very strong stomach to read that. Invisible Monsters, definitely. I will never leave my car mirror or car window halfway down after reading that book. I'm trying to think of anything else I could say in that sense of an aggressive male author. And I, I don't know. I don't know if there's too much that I'm thinking right off the bat that yeah. I would definitely say, oh, yeah, definitely read this guy or read this woman because you'd be surprised. So, you know what? I'll, I'll try and post it on Goodreads or something if I have any other recommendations for it. But sure. as of right now, I would say just read more Chuck Palahniuk. 
Yeah, it's on my list for sure. Any final thoughts on club before we wrap it up? Get mental health treatment, America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's let's like take said, care of the, the men, women, and anything other or in between because life can be just so much easier. And I love this fuck, you know, capitalism mentality. I do. But like, let's, let's, and we should understand what people are looking for and what realities are out there mm-hmm. and violence and what violence means in the society. But that's why we have books is you can experience this fuckery and not do it yourself. So and everyone movies. be nice to people. How about that? Read a book. Watch a movie. Watch a movie. And just Don't be move stupid. on. Don't be stupid. Yeah. Move on. Move on. Get out there and vote. This is actually a 49-year-long voter-die commercial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think As that... As seen on TRL. I really think that, like I said, Fight Club is a cult classic. If you haven't seen it, go add it to your list immediately. Go watch it tonight. You will not be disappointed. And that's Club. That is Club. That is a lot of us bleeping out this name is what it is. I think on our next episode, Kelly, we're going to do a Halloween episode. Because we'll be yeah. coming out close to Halloween. So stay tuned for that. We'll be posting on what we'll be reading and watching for our next episode. We haven't we haven't locked down a, a movie slash book yet for Halloween, but there's a couple up there we that we're ideas. thinking. We have ideas. Yeah. So we'll, we we'll post ideas. it to keep it keep you up to date. I I just want to give a quick shout out as we wrap up our episode to a couple people that helped promote the first episode. If you don't if you don't listen to Spoiler Piece Theater, go check that out with Evan and his team. Thank you guys for for promoting our podcast. Pat Henderson over at Path Agent Productions was promoting our podcast, so I want to thank them. And all of the uh, the podcasts over at Gecko's Media, Tim and his team over at Gecko's Media have done a great job at editing and and posting our very first episode. is very exciting for us, and we want to thank thank the, his team for, for putting that together. I'm a big fan of Conspiracy Happy Hour over at Gecko's Media. They have HamPod and a couple of Dungeons & Dragons podcasts on there, so go check those out. Stumble um, Upon. Stumble Upon, yeah. They have a lot of great podcasts out there, so definitely go check those out. Yeah, and a few friends, too, that gave us a nice shout-out. So Sarah, Julie, Katie, a few people who listened to our podcast and decided to germinate it through social media. Thank you very much. We will continue to put out this material. This wonderful, wonderful content that everybody's been asking for. <laughs> First episode was intestines. Second is balls. We don't yeah. know where we're going on the third episode. <laughs> It could be it's child an anatomy murder. lesson, guys. We need to. Like, where's a female author when you need one? We're like, oh my god, why? Why are there so many body parts? We'll lighten the mood eventually, but next month we will. Halloween. We'll get there. We're moving out of the '90s, guys, and we're gonna safely land you in a time where there was there was less hate in the world. That's right. We'll do something fun and light eventually. We'll exactly. Not for Halloween, we won't. But nope. there might be some children death in around Halloween episode. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being the consummate host and bringing movie content to our fan base here. Anything else you want to say? Or we feel like we need to go shower or something. I don't know. Yeah, we need to wash off with some club soap. Just make sure you join us on social media and become a Patreon member. We're at Seeing Red Podcast on Instagram and then just at Seeing Red on Facebook, Twitter, and Gmail, Letterbox, Goodreads, all of those is just at Seeing Red. And we're also on Patreon. So there's different tiers to become Patreon members. And we really appreciate your support on there as well. We'll be dropping some merch and some episodes on there. 
so feel free to go check that out. But that was all I had. Kelly, anything else? All I have to say is keep reading movies. Keep watching books. All right. Bye-bye. Peace. Peace.